everybody. Welcome back to another episode of God Built This Podcast. I'm your host, Maxine. We're on episode 112. 112. Where's Q-Tip? Wait, that's his name, right? Hold on. Let me look it up real quick. 112. <laughs> Q-Tip. No, it's not Q-Tip. It's just Q. Okay. Child, y'all know what I'm talking about. Q, Mike, Slim, Darren. Okay, welcome to the podcast. I'm kidding, kidding. they're not on the episode. But it is episode 112, shout out. This is pretty awesome. We made it to 112. Thank you for still listening. Thank you for tuning in and giving me your feedback and commenting on different topics and my, you know, different takes on everything. I really appreciate it. I just, let's just get into it because there's a lot of topics I need to get into that's been on my spirit. Um, but first I'm going to go on a little rant because that's what I do. And this past weekend I got my hair braided, got my hair dude, and I just, I'm just so disappointed. Not with the result of my hair, even though I feel like she put too much gel and now my scalp looking all ashy, but I'm just really disappointed in the lack of knowledge and acceptance that is had for hair textures like mine. I have 4C hair, you guys know this, I talk about my hair pretty frequently on this podcast, and the the amount of times I've experienced hairstylists, whether you're a braider, whether you're a stylist who specializes in in cuts, in, um, in relaxers, in texturizers, whatever it is, there is an abundance of ignorance amongst many hairstylists that I've come across who don't know what to do with my hair. Oh my, your hair is so thick. Your hair is so, oh my, how do you, how do you, like, what the fuck? Like, do you have a degree in this? Aren't you licensed? I thought you would know how to do, oh, I thought you was licensed. I thought you have a whole history in taking care of hair and hair care. And you know what, it's so funny because it's like, you know, with white hairstylists, I wouldn't expect, one, I wouldn't go to a white hairstylist, right? I, what? Like, I'm not going to Supercuts to get my hair done. I'm not going there. I'm going to somebody in the hood because I would think someone in the hood would understand me more, would understand my hair texture, would understand my my gripe has a black woman in America. You know, like, there's more of an understanding that is just naturally had amongst black folk. And... To go get my hair braided, I got my hair braided, like I said, this past weekend, and I usually, I, I frequent there. I get my hair braided by by um, these Africans at this African hair braiding shop, and I'm saying that with love. I'm not saying, like, oh, these Africans, like, <laughs> you got to get your hair braided by Africans. If you don't get, like, yes, there are black Americans who know how to braid, but do they, like, let's just stop. Do they know how to braid? Do, do they really know how to get in there? Do they know how to get in down into the roots? Do they know how to do it? And do they know how to do it with thick type hair? With 4C, textured, coily, kinky? I don't like that word kinky, but once I say kinky, niggas know what I'm talking about. You know, do they know how to do it with that type of hair? I don't think black Americans are, you know, the, the ones I've experienced, I don't think they really know it like that. 
They they know how to do, you know, this 3C, super curly, almost white folk type hair. Yet, you're a black hairstylist? And you don't know how to do hair like mine? So anyway, that's why I go to Africans instead because they braid. It is literally in their culture. You have, in order to become an African woman, you have to be a braider. That, that's a part of the, the rite of passage. You have to go through this step in order to be, to even be able to emigrate from the, the, the continent of Africa. <laughs> okay, I'm dead ass. Like, if you don't know how to braid and you're an African woman, are you an African woman? Did you make it? Like, is your mother proud? So I frequent at this African hair salon because the many times, all the times that I've gone there, they know how to do my hair. I don't deal with no, oh my gosh, your hair's so thick. I don't know. You know, that whole dumb ass reaction niggas be having when they don't know what to do with. Like, no, no, no. I'm not the problem. My hair texture is not the problem. You're the problem. And the reason why you're the problem is you can't be around here talking about you're a hairstylist, you're a license, you've been doing this for 20, 12, you know, 20 or 12 or 10 years. You've been doing this since you, you started to walk. I remember I asked this black American girl who was doing my hair a few months ago. And I'm just making a conversation like, oh, how long you been braiding? Oh, since I could walk. Since I could talk. Like, girl, shut the fuck up. You did it. You started last year. You started last year. So they would have this like arrogance about them as if they just know how to do hair. Like they're this braider and they have all these followers on IG and these these um this grand grand amount of likes on their on their results you know on the pictures that they post of the many clients who are satisfied with their hair and oh okay it's like okay you know what you're doing okay you know how to braid it looks good but as soon as i sit on that chair it's oh dang uh do you do you want to get a perm bitch what i want to get my hair braided i want my natural hair to be regarded as such you know, it's just so funny that within this natural hair community, there is still a hierarchy. There is still this level of bias. If you're not white, you're not right, literally. And that's still the same within a black hair care community. If my hair does not resemble, does not favor my white peers, then bitch, I don't know if I could do your hair. It's hard, your hair is hard what and you know what's so what's so there's a lot of things funny but it's really not funny it's actually really hurtful but i've grown to to have a thick skin around this because i've dealt with this all my life i've dealt with people always having something smart to say about my hair texture about the quality of my, is, is, your hair feels so dry you know, it, it just feels so dry. Like, it's fine. It's just thick. My hair is fine. It's actually healthy and it's full. A lot of people pay for my hair. Let's, and that's not, maybe that's me tooting my horn, beep, beep, whatever. But a lot of niggas, um, I'm talking about women, pay for hair like mine. Pay to have hair like mine installed in their head. Wish that they had hair like mine because my hair is full. My hair has volume. My hair shows richness, 
right? A lot of these other black girls out here have stringy, thin, falling apart, ends are, like where are your ends, edges are gone. Instead for me, I have fullness. And with that fullness comes thickness. With that thickness comes coiliness. With that coiliness comes kinkiness. And that's all a part of the beautiful package of me, of my hair, of my whole essence. So I've, I'm so grateful that I've grown to, to stand in my fullness unapologetically in my 30 years of living, but this has not been an easy journey. It has not been an easy journey. I've had to deal with many moments of discrimination, of just like rejection of my standard, of my idea, of my um, presentation of beauty. So it's really it's really hurtful at the end of the day, but thank God that I'm I'm you know I'm more confident who I am. But I just think about the little girls, like who are having these experiences because of their natural God-given hair. Anyway, let's let's get to the story. So I go to this hair salon. Mind you, I've I've been there many times. I frequent there. I've been going to them for a while now. I've put them as my main hair braiding source. I don't, I haven't gone to anyone else since I've gone to them, since I've discovered them and been going to them from the beginning, okay? And all the times I've been there, I've been received well and they knew what to do with my hair because prior to them, I've been going to different black American girls who I would find on IG because I'm just trying to figure out, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get my head on real quick, right? So I'm trying to find some research, you know, use the hashtag and find anyone who's available. So I will go to them and discover exactly, you know, what type of service do they provide? So anyway, I go to this African hair braiding salon this past weekend with the intent of getting jumbo knotless braids. Now, Google hashtag the style so you know the type of look it takes, right? (laughs) I feel like with this hairstyle, this is probably the easiest for my hair texture. If you wanna talk about, oh, what's easy for my hair texture or not. I think it's easy because I, it's, I'm not requiring for you to make small, um, small braids, right? The, the hairstyle does not require for you to make small braids. It doesn't require for you to cornrow on my head. Um, it doesn't require for a design or a style in particular that's unique. It's just a jumbo, it's, you know, it's a dookie braid. If you know what I'm talking about, like those of you who grew up in, in a time when Thick braids were identified as dookie braids. That's literally the hairstyle that I have, (laughs) okay? And it's, you know, it's a thing. It's a trend. It's cute. I like it. At the end of the day, I do like how my hair turned out. But the process in getting there, I was about to burn the whole salon down. The whole salon down. And not not just the salon, but the prostitutes who prostitute on the street of the salon, I was about to find them and burn them too. That was the level of agitation I was feeling just by sitting there, one, waiting 
longer than I usually do when it comes to getting my hair braided. But you know, I'm used to that as a black girl. You know when you go to the hair salon a few minutes before your appointment, you're gonna have to wait a good 45, maybe an hour till you get a chance to sit down at the chair. That's That comes with the territory, it is what it is. But um, with them, because my appointment was not in the morning like it usually were, like it, like it usually has been, um, I think I was more at a disadvantage. So I understand that and I offered some grace. It wasn't that much of a big deal. Okay, cool. So it's time for me to finally sit down at a chair and I get this other woman who I seen at the shop, but I don't think she ever, I don't think she ever braided my hair. Maybe she helped one time, uh, like there was two hairstylists on my head at the same time. So maybe she helped braid the ends at one point, but she was never my main hair braider, okay? So I sit on her chair because the the owner of the shop, who's always there, she works hands-on, she's, she's a worker. She tells me, oh, this lady, she specializes, mind you, specializes. You know, Africans, <laughs> yo, <laughs> she literally said the word specializes. If, if Africans aren't scammers, I don't know who are, who is. Like, I, I don't know. Who is a scammer if you're not African? Who? So she tells me, try, you know, trying to reassure me, hey, oh, you're gonna sit with this lady. She specializes in this hairstyle and this these, these jumbo. Mind you, what type of specialist field do you need to be in for this type of, like this is not a big deal type of hairstyle, nigga. Like I'm not asking for a design, I'm asking for dookie braids. Do, Y'all know what dookie, I hope you guys know what dookie braids are. <laughs> But it really was a thing when I was growing up. And it was actually a form of insult. It was, so it's ironic that this is like a hairstyle now that's acceptable and popular and cute. But yeah, dookie braids are not, and I'm gonna say jumbo braids because that's really the name for it now. But really the dookie braids. These braids are not hard to do. I don't do hair. But if I did do hair, this would not be a hard task. You know, like, it's literally just braid, section my hair, my hair section in probably like maybe 16, maybe 12, no more around there, um, amount of braids on my head. So, and it, you're, you're taking a, a big section, you you add it with the, the full shivet, with, with the fake hair, and that was Creole, Haitian Creole, by the way. Um, you add it with the fake hair, and then you braid it. Right, and then you add hair as you continue to make sure it's thick throughout the braid and you get it to the desired length of your choice, which is typically um, to your back, right below or right above your butt. It's not a hard hairstyle. So this African hair braider who specializes, like, girl, what? You need to specialize in this hairstyle? You need to specialize in this hairstyle. Okay, got it. So I'm annoyed already because like I said, I'm there not in the morning this one time. I'm there at three. I actually arrived a good 10 minutes prior. You know, sometimes you like to play a little like, okay, I'll arrive, I'll arrive a few minutes early to see if they could start me a little early. But I understand if you can't. I understand if you have to start me at my exact time. I didn't get started on until four, y'all. 
Mind you, <laughs> y'all, this whole day was just a mess. Or that whole experience was just a mess. Because, so I sit there, I'm waiting. Um, there was another woman who I was supposed to go to first. And she was still finishing up with a client. And this client, I don't know if she, if she just got finished sniffing coke, um, injecting coke, or or selling coke and then sniffing it. Like, I don't know what, in what order. I don't know if, she, like, something, she was high. Let me just say that. She was high. And, like, if you, <laughs> if you, <laughs> if you know, you know what I'm talking about. Like, if you not grew up around crackheads, I'm not saying I grew up around crackheads, but I know, I know a druggie when I see one. Okay? An obvious one, at least. I, I, like, I don't know the ones who, who are, who's able to function and, uh, you know, play a facade in, in society, but the ones who are druggies, you could tell, okay? So this lady, grown, like, older woman, probably in her late 40s, she's, child, I don't know if it's the drugs or maybe she has a medical condition, but her body was just weird to me. It looked like she was pregnant, but the age that she looks like she is, she can't be pregnant. She just can't be pregnant. And her her legs are super, super skinny, like ant-like. And her stomach is protruding as if she is pregnant. But I would see her smoke in the in um, outside right in front of the shop. And she just looks so high, so cracked out. So she's sitting on the chair, and I'm supposed to be going after this lady. Like, girl, I don't want to sit in this chair. I know you guys, quote-unquote, sanitize, but it's a no. I don't want to sit here. But I'm sitting there waiting, and I'm just looking at the style that she's getting. She, <laughs> I just, I don't know, where do I be? I know I've already begun, but where do I begin with this part of the story? She is getting purple hair braided into her her auburn hair, her copper hair that's already dyed to that color. And she's getting purple hair braided into it. Her hair is like, it's like a mushroom hairstyle. So the bo the bottom half of her hair is shaved off or it needs to be shaved because her hair grew, up, grew a little. And the top of her hair is short. So the stylist is only braiding the top of her head. And the color that she decides on is is a lavender purple. And I mean, you have to be a cokehead to be in your late 40s and decide to get this hairstyle in this color. Like there's no other way to go. Like you have to be a cokehead. You have to be a dope fiend. You have to be. She has these eyelashes that you know how there's some cars that have eyelashes on them and by eye, like I'm talking about literal eyelashes that people will put in these Volkswagens, those bug, those bug cars. Um, like some people I've seen, like when the cars are parked, I would notice, oh wow, the car has eyelashes. She literally had those eyelashes on her eyes. The, the lids of her eyes have those a child and I'm sitting there I'm just like I'm just astonished I'm it's astonishment it's it's fascination it's just pure I don't I don't get it how do how how are you you know and I'm not judging <laughs> clearly I am but I'm just like I'm giving you guys context everything was just annoying me in this salon during my appointment my scheduled appointment 
So she's sitting there. She looks like she's about to fall apart on this seat. And as the the hairstylist, your job is to make sure your customer is, is serviced, you know, is, is well, and you uh, abide and appease them by any means. And I would hear the hairstylist say, oh, this is a pretty color. Wow, it's a pretty... I was thinking to myself, like, bitch, no, it's not. What are we... I mean, at what point, when does the hairstylist come in and be like, look, ma'am, this is not a good idea. We're not going to do this. Either you do a copper color or black, and that's it. Otherwise, we can't be known for this hairstyle. Like, it was just so bad and just, just ghetto. It was just ghetto. God, I know that, that sounds, that's anti-black. You can't do that. And I think I'm going off another tangent real quick because... The thing I don't like about a lot of these woke black folks here in Twitter, in the Twitter world, in the YouTube world, is like you cannot criticize any black people. You you cannot profess their their shortcomings. You cannot hold them to the fire. You cannot laugh or criticize them at any cause. Otherwise, you are anti-black. How am I anti-black but I'm black? Oh, but okay, you're anti-black. Bitch, I guess I'm anti-black because this bitch was, it was, it was crazy. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Child, okay, so that was just annoying. So, I finally, uh, am told that, um, oh, you're gonna go to this other woman. She specializes in this, in these dookie braids. Like, girl, okay, this sounds great. How comforting. I need a specialist for my hairstyle that's fucking easy. Are you, are you, are you for real? So I sit on her chair, child. And mind you, my hair, I, I, um, stretched it out. I detangled it. My hair is poofy. It's big. It's loud. It's hair. It's hair. Hair is here. That is my hair. So I sit down. And these Africans, let's, I mean, can we just go back to Africans again real quick? Because... If you know what I'm talking about, you'll know exactly why I'm describing them as such. But this, like, they typically have this type of rude, unapproachable, intimidating. I mean, if you're intimidated, sure. But, like, they just have a, a harsh demeanor about them. They're not the ones to be like, hi, how you doing? They're not the ones to smile. They have an attitude. They're upset. They're... And I'm not like, look, I have my own native tongue, right? My, my parents have their native tongue. We, I don't want to discriminate against people who talk in their native tongues amongst those who understand, right? And those who speak it. So it's not like I was uncomfortable with them speaking in their native tongue around me. That's, it is what it is. People talk shit, whatever. So maybe they were talking shit. But... I sat on her chair and I felt immediately, here, here the fuck we go. I knew immediately it was going to be a problem. So she, and the thing about these hairstylists or hair braiders, let me just say that, hair braiders, they would, African hair braiders, let me be more specific, African hair braiders, they won't even say hi to you, right? They, don't, they won't even approach you with, hi, how you doing? Um... You know, what hairstyle are you interested in? They won't, like, warm up to you. They won't ask for your consent. Instead, they would just rush their hand into your scalp 
to see how your hair feels. As if they're giving you a measurement. As if they're testing to see, oh, let me see how this bitch hair is. Because otherwise, I'm not doing her hair. If her hair is too hard, I'm not doing her hair type of thing. Like, they're testing you to see how well is this person's hair. How is her texture? If it's not good, if it's not white-like, right, then I don't want to do it. Then I'm not doing it. Then your hair is too hard. It's too strong. What? So I remember, yeah, prior to me sitting on her chair, there was this other woman who just put her hand in my hair. It's like, bitch, say, can I touch your hair? Do you mind if I touch your hair? And it's like, I get it. We're at the hair salon. You're, of course, going to touch my hair. But prep me up. Put some lube. Like, don't just go in there. My pussy's dry. Like, it is. I need you to warm me into this moment. Don't just go in there. So I'm sitting on this chair. And she touches my hair. Like, mad rough. Just, like, hello? Hello? Hi? I'm Maxine. Like, you want to... Tell me your name first. Like, can we go on a date? Like, what, what is going on? So she bum rushes my head with her rough ass hands, talking about, oh, she does this. Oh, oh no, it's too, it's too strong. It's too strong. This hairstyle is can't. This hairstyle can't work. It's too strong. Your hair's too strong. Maybe we should wash your hair. If you are a hairstylist, let me give you some hair tips 101, especially to the men who listen to my podcast. Hey, um, when you wash thick hair, it doesn't suddenly make it soft. It doesn't suddenly make it curly and super smooth. No, in fact, it clumps it up. Okay, it clumps it up some more. It actually, all the detangling that I did previous to me coming into this motherfucking shop is now done in vain because you wet my hair. Now we gotta detangle it again. That is obvious. Like, I don't have to be a hairstylist to know this. You should know this by now. So she's suggesting that I wash my hair and. Um, no, not like I wash my hair, like I leave and wash my, like she's suggesting that, oh, we wash my hair right now so that my hair couldn't be as strong as it is. And she even had the nerve to say out of her mouth, oh, you should get a relaxer, you should get a perm so that I, that's the only way I could do this hairstyle. As if my hair texture, just as it is, is not enough for her to do this hairstyle. Girl... I, I, when I tell you guys, I had to pray like Muhammad. I had to call on Mary, my ancestors. I had to find the cross. I had to draw a cross on my skin to hold me down. Because the anger in me, you guys, was rising. It was, it was risen. Just like Christ, he, he rose, right? My anger rose. My anger rose and I was pissed. So I get up. And you know, when I, well, I don't know if you guys know, but when I get mad, I get, (laughs) my eyes get glossy. I'm about to cry, but I'm not crying because I'm sad. I'm crying because like all these emotions come at me at once. So tears just come with it. Like I just get emotional. Like that's just me. And I'm not ashamed about it. We'll talk about that in a moment, but like, I hate when 
I'm emotional and my feelings are not made valid. And I'm made to feel like, oh, you're being sensitive as if sensitive is a negative trait. So that's a whole different conversation, but child, we'll get there sometime. But um, so I, I, I get up. I'm like, no, I that that's not okay. I've had my hair done in this style many times. I don't need to get my hair washed. My hair's already clean. I don't need to get a perm. This is unacceptable. And I'm going off. I'm telling her, your manager told me that you specialize in this hairstyle. So why can't you do my hair? So the manager sees what's going on. She comes over. She's very professional. I do appreciate appreciate that about her. So she comes over, and I'm telling her what you know what this what this lady said to me. How it's not okay. It looked like they had a little conversation. She pulled her to the side. So then she comes back. I sit back at the chair. Mind you, I got up. I got up. I was I was about to leave. I was like, you know what? I'll just go. I don't want to do this anymore. And of course, you know, I'm money. I'm money walking out. You you see your money walking out the door, right? You're going to stop me, right? Which I appreciate. So I'm glad that they stopped me because I really want to get my hair done. <laughs> Despite the discrimination, I really wanted to get my hair braided. <laughs> so she stops me and she's like, Ma'am, we're gonna make it work. I'm so sorry about that. So then she talks to the lady, and I guess she she peps her, right? She she peps her to to handle my strong ass hair. Like, bitch, I will fight you and your big ass, cause she had a really big ass. But I'll still fight you. <laughs> I'll do my best. Damn it. So she um she gives her a pep talk, I guess. And then she the lady comes back to me, and then she touches my hair again and she like sprays something on it and I'm just like actually I'm really upset still like I don't care what type of pep talk you got I don't care if you got some type of reassurance that you can handle my type of hair I don't want you touching me anymore actually so I tell I tell her stop I'm like you stop so I get up I'm like look I'm not I don't feel comfortable with her touching my hair <laughs> I said those words go let me tell you something once I realized, oh, I could use comfortable in a sentence when it comes to my well-being, when it comes to my comfort level, like comfortability, like <laughs> I don't think that's a word though, but comfortable, that word, that is my word. I am quick to say, I don't feel comfortable. I That's not okay. I'm actually uncomfortable with this. That is a strong word to use because it really helps you to identify your voice. It helps you to be at one with your body, with yourself. And it really helps you to speak up for yourself. You know, not every interaction that you have is a comfortable one. So when you finally get comfortable enough to say, hey, you know what? I don't feel comfortable with this. Whatever this is, right? It could be a comment someone said to you that made me feel uncomfortable. It could be a touch, right? A physical interaction that was had. You could use that word in so many ways. So I just want to encourage you guys to use the word comfortable. That is a good word. Comfortable and uncomfortable. Please use that. Anyway, so I say I don't feel comfortable with her touching my hair. Period. So I get up and I'm acting like I'm about to leave again. Because <laughs> at this point, I don't know what to do, right? I'm I'm standing up for myself, but I still want to get my hair done. So the manager, she actually ha uh, decided to braid my hair herself, which I don't understand why she didn't do it in the first place. Like, what the fuck? But I think she probably was trying to get to her break or maybe she maybe it was something like that. So she 
had me sit on her, sit at her chair. She was just finishing up with a client and I sat on her chair and she finally started servicing me and she actually did apologize on behalf of what just happened and she said, I'm sorry, I, you know, we did not mean to offend you. Um, I guess she does not specialize, you know, your hair is very strong and full. I think she was trying to make me feel complimented that my hair is just so big and so full and she doesn't know how to handle this, you know, this much hair. And I was like, okay, look, I, I appreciate this, right? I appreciate your words. I appreciate you even calming the situation down and appeasing to me as your customer. But this is not okay. And I said that still. I was like, look, I appreciate you saying this, but that was not okay. If she's a specialist, then she should know how to do my hair, any type of hair. And I don't appreciate being talked to like that, or I don't appreciate being treated like that. And so she just apologized again. The other lady, though, the actual braider who said those things to me, she didn't apologize. She didn't come around to me because she's fucking rude. Damn, at the end of the day, Africans are rude. Let's just keep it a buck buck. Africans are fucking rude. <laughs> Africans are fucking rude, okay? Especially the old school ones, the ones who are older, the ones who are grown, women in particular, just aggressive and rude. That's, that's anti-black, whatever. Call me anti-black. In my experience with a lot of African women who are older, these motherfuckers are rude, just like unapproachable as fuck. So anyway, I just want to talk about that because texturism is real. And for those who may not know what texturism is, it's exactly what I described. The experience that I had at this hair braiding salon was due to texturism, was due to the fact my hair texture, 4C, 4Z really, but I had a, we'll talk about that another time. But basically, texturism is discrimination against Hair types like mine, kinky, coily, thick, full hair like mine, being discriminated against, being rejected, being um, just insulted because of our natural hair texture. You know how there's colorism, there's racism, racism, there is texturism. It's a real thing. And it's so disappointing when you experience that from your own people, from your own kinfolk. And it's just, it just sucks. And I just, you know, I dream of a day. I dream of a day when I will come across a hairstylist who is full of, of knowledge, full of experience with hair texture like mine, who is not just full of knowledge, but who actually appreciates my hair texture, who actually desires for hair texture like mine, who actually really love like who actually likes it who's not brainwashed by colonization standard of beauty because that's really what it is you know the y'all are so quick to be colonizers yourself period you want to be mad at the white man be mad at yourself be mad at yourself for still perpetuating these these colonized standards of beauty when what you're really doing you insulting me you rejecting my hair type bitch i have the same hair type as you and it's so that's the ironic thing you would think she's half white you know you would think she is um i don't know caucasian herself no she is a black an african black as that not a black american like so you black black okay you black black 
and yet you are so <laughs> you're just so so lost you don't know how to get around my type of hair my type of hair is just it's too much you don't get it what's going on what like when literally under that wig cap bitch is my hair hey your head i know you're, you're wearing a wig like she's literally wearing a wig cap you see the cornrows peeking out that's my hair type you have the same thing it's the same thing bitch it's just like there's this like are you delusional we we come from the same hair texture we are the same there is nothing different about our hair texture so texture, texturism is real. I just come here to say that. <laughs> Let's get into some more hot topics. Um, there is now this movement to legalize and encourage hard drug use. Um, I'm just, I really, this world is going to hell. I just... Where do I begin? So there's this uh, professor who's also a neuroscientist. His name is Dr. Carl Hart, who's a black man at that. Like, damn, why I gotta be a nigga doing this? So he's a black man and he is well, um, well, he's a well-respected professional, right? He is in a career field that is respected, that is revered, you know, a neuroscientist. Wow, a college professor. Wow, hey, I was one at one point, so shout out to me too. But he is well-respected. And he recently just came out, not on some homosexual tip. Shit, he might be. It's like, no, but not on some homosexual tip, not on some bisexual no 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 he just came out as a heroin user and not like oh i once battled with this disease of addiction many years ago in my 20s and now i'm here to talk about the the, the plight of addiction no, no 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 he came out has a current and not just a current user, but a proud user, a proud boy, okay? He is a proud, hard drug user. And he's going around writing articles, going on internet, um, going on interviews, talking about why it's okay and how heroin and we're not talking about weed, y'all. And that's the funny thing about it. We're not talking about marijuana. We're not talking about Mary Jane. We're not even talking about ayahuasca, which is pretty interesting. I remember at one point in my life, I was thinking about, not thinking about doing it, but I just thought, mm, this will be kind of interesting. Because if anything, if I was to do a drug, I feel like I would rather it be something that's more earthbound, right? Something that's more natural, not something that's made in the lab, not something that's chemical-based. You know, I would rather... And marijuana don't, and I know it's marijuana, y'all. But marijuana don't do it for me. I've tried it. It's not my thing. I hate the smell. I don't, I don't like it. It's not my thing. Um, I just, if I were, if I had to, if I had, like, there was a gun to my head, bitch, you gotta do a drug. Which drug would you do? You know? Would it be heroin? <laughs> or would it be a, an ayahuasca type of drug? And I would rather do something that's more natural based. So anyway, 
Um, and that's just, it's really more so like I'm in my later years in life. Maybe, maybe I'm like, you know, in a, in Arizona, in the desert and we just having a good time. I'll be open, but okay. Anyway, hard drug use. He's talking about heroin. Did you guys hear me? Heroin, bitch. So he said heroin has made him a stronger person. Well, not, not stronger. Um, a better person. Heroin has made him a better person. It has made him a, um, what is it? Uh, he says specifically, it has made him a more compassionate person. And he is fine with it, basically. He is uh, proud of his use of drugs. So, uh, so let me give you guys some background. So basically, he first tried heroin in his later years of life. He is well over his 40s and he has tried heroin for the first time about six or seven years ago, according to this article by The Insider. And he has studied psychoactive drugs for more than three decades. This has been a, a field of knowledge for him to, to learn more of, to really understand the differences in what the media projects to be, uh, you know, uh, addiction and uh, drug use. And here's the thing with what he's saying. He he professes as if the, the media is to blame for the poor depiction of drug use, of addiction, of just drugs in general. And I think because he intellectualizes it so well, that it makes sense, right? It makes sense that, of course, if the media, if the media is a great tool to use to, to brainwash you, to make you believe a certain perspective, to make you hate a, a group of people, you know, the media has made many people, many white people, many people in general to have these negative uh, perspectives when it comes to the African-American community. So this is not a new thing. What he's saying, he, he intellectualizes it so well that it makes sense, right? So he then go, goes on to say that him using heroin, it is recreational. It is not something that he, you know how some people use marijuana, for example, and they say, oh, well, I use it to help me go to sleep. I use it for my anxiety when <laughs> a lot of people don't like not a lot of people but some people who i come across they would say it with that disclaimer with that type of um you know explanation attached to it instead of just saying i'm using it because i like this shit nigga <laughs> you know um and with dr carl hart he's saying that he uses heroin has a recreation recreational use it is like vacation to him it is like sex to him it's like the arts it is his alcohol you know how we drink alcohol for happy hour you know a long day at work you know we drink with our colleagues and have a good time heroin is what is his alcohol use heroin is is one of the tools that he uses to maintain his work-life balance and this is a quote from him specifically and what's so interesting about this is that he he creates this this idea this this um just this just this idea that there can be a work life balance when it comes to hard drug use and i'm here to tell you this is a lie this is a lie straight from hell this is a lie straight from hell and i'm saying that because 
I know niggas who don't even do heroin. I know niggas who smoke weed. Just weed. And they have no no idea what a work-life balance is. They don't know what anything else is outside of smoking weed. It is weed alone. They, they create a schedule a lot around weed. They create um, an identity around weed. They create friendships around weed. Weed is their life balance. That's it. There's no balance around it. It's just their life. So there is no, I haven't come across people who smoke so heavily and it's really about that life. And it's really, and what I mean about about that life, I mean like, it's really a go-getter. It's really ambitious, have their own personal goals and dreams and they're succeeding, they're accomplishing them. No, no, no. I know a lot of weed smokers who smoke weed and go to sleep. Y'all niggas just go to sleep. What work-life balance could be had? So, like, look at me talking about this nigga one time. I was, of course, I'm going to talk about Boston Bay. And again, me and him are done. Shout out to me. It's been, how long it's been? I'm going to say 30, it's been more than 30 days, but let's say 30 days, right? I sound like an addict, right? It's been 30 days since I had this hit and I feel so good. I can see clearly. <laughs> but yeah, I just want to keep on saying that because I know every time I bring him up, it's, it's been a lot of times of me saying, hey guys, I just took him back and I feel like it's gonna be different. If <laughs> no, 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 it's really, really done. And I'm really proud of myself. So that's me giving myself the shout out. But when we were seeing each other, I would frankly go over his house. And this nigga, it's one thing to smoke weed, but to have a bong, like nigga, go seek help. Go seek Christ. Find Christ the Lord find Christ the King because I just for the life of me I cannot understand why this is captivating you so much he would be I would be you know the bad bitch that I am over his house and we're seated on his couch you know I'm ready to suck his dick you know just the regular and <laughs> Shut up. I'm kidding. I'm not. We were dating. So I'm telling the truth. So anyway, we, um, so I'm sitting there, you know, and he's just rolling up. Not just rolling up. He's put, he rolls up first, right? There's a whole process. He rolls up. He puts us in this, this whole, this whole compartment situation machine that he created <laughs> by cutting up half of a soda, soda bottle. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, the amount of energy that he took to create this bong, he could have applied it to a business plan. He could have applied it to saving more money. Like, it could have been used for something more important. I'm uncomfortable with this. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. But yeah, he applied this amount of energy towards his addiction to weed. To weed alone, y'all. So he's doing this and he's so fixated on rolling it, right? He's so fixated on putting it in the little compartment situation. He then, every time he, his, he smokes it or like, not sniffs it, but like he inhales it from the bong. Y'all know what I'm talking about if you, if you know people who smoke. But you, you sniff it from the bong, he exhales so strongly. He's coughing his lung is coming out of his chest. He's coughing so hard where it's like, are you okay? 
He's like, <laughs> literally, just like that, y'all. <laughs> Are you a 65-year-old lung cancer patient? Is everything okay with you right now? Oh, you're fine? You're just smoking weed? Oh, got it. Wow. So he's, he's seated. And he's coughing up a lung. I'm sitting next to him, you know, still trying to be cute. I'm still trying to be desirable to him because I still felt like, you know, you guys know, I would never feel like he desired me enough, at least. He never really gave me compliments like that or he just never really would see me the way I needed to be seen. And I would sit there trying to, you know, maybe look a certain way to or trying to just be cool, cool enough for him, however that looked like. And he's coughing up his lung. <laughs> this nigga is, this nigga is sick. He is coughing up his lung. And I'm just not, I don't know what to like, do I call 911? Should I have somebody on speed dial right now? What is happening? So he's coughing up a lung. And, you know, the, the nice person that I am, I go ahead and pat his, and not his his back. Because I read somewhere that you actually pat the chest of someone who's coughing because it helps with the esophagus. It helps with something. So I was patting his chest instead and, you know, trying to be present with him, trying to uh, just be a, of aid to him. And just, I'm just hoping that he'll just stop. Stop, this is making you cough up your, your <laughs> you're doing all it is. Just, you could just stop. You could just stop, but he's still doing it. So I'm still patting his chest. He's being polite and saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And he's coughing up. Every time he finishes, he finishes coughing, he's like relieved. Like, oh my God, like literally a cat ball was in his throat. Like that type of re relief. So he's coughing up his lung. I'm tapping his chest and all of this for weed. All of this for weed. So I think about this quote by Dr. Carl Hart talking about heroin is used recreationally by him and how it helps him to maintain a work-life balance. And I just think it's such a dangerous rhetoric. It's so dangerous. I think it's so dangerous when you have someone who intellectualizes drug use. Hard, and I'm going to be specific to hard drug use because... There's an argument for, well, you know, with marijuana, you know, it's not that bad. It's of the earth. I'm not even here to talk about that because Boston Bay was enough for me to realize I don't want my nigga smoking, especially not like that. Like, if you want to smoke, smoke a cigar, nigga. Like, that shit's sexy. A cigar? Okay. <laughs> I let you smoke a cigar and blow that shit in my face. Okay, that's sexy. But weed? Get get out of my like that shit is just so gross to me, especially you coughing up like that. Like, are you okay? Do you need the 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 CIA, the IRS, all the acronyms? Like, do you need help? What is wrong? So he's he's coughing up along and he's doing all these things and he's just so relieved at the end. He finally stops, he he puts the bong down, he he has enough of a hit to get that high that he desires so much. And I'm just seated there in my booty shorts trying to be cute for him. <laughs> but he doesn't see me because he's only, he sees these demons 
probably instead that he's addicted to, that he probably is in a soul tie with. He probably isn't a soul tie with these spiritual beings who I can't see, right? Supernaturally. And this is just the experience of my time with him consistently because of his weed addiction. So I think about this quote by Dr. Carl Hart. I think it's so dangerous to say that heroin is even an opportunity to have a work-life balance. You have niggas who can't even handle weed and they're supposed to have a work-life balance based off of what you said about heroin. This is so dangerous and when we intellectualize this conversation by saying, well, the media paints a negative image about drug use and for so long we criminalize marijuana. And if, the thing is, there's a lot of people who don't think as critically as they should, right? And they are easily influenced. They're easily just influenced by people who are saying things that their parents said was wrong but hey you have this doctor this doctor who's a professor who's a neuroscientist who's credited right this is a credible uh, reputable man okay i should trust what he's saying but you trusting him is putting you in danger you in danger girl you in danger where's that from ghost ghost the movie ghost um, but it's just so dangerous and I and I I just hate that this is even a conversation. As much as I love conversation, right? As much as I love debunking and, and criti criticizing and just thinking, using your critical thing, just all of that is fun to me. I love that. I think this conversation is so dangerous that it it shouldn't even be had, to be honest. It's one of those conversations that I think should really stay in the kitchen. Leave it in the kitchen. Don't talk about it outside of this kitchen, not even outside of this home. Outside of this kitchen is where the conversation should be, period, period. So there's this, like, you know, this is push for acceptance to to accepting hard drug use, to to destigmatizing those who engage in this activity. And I think... It's just so dangerous. And he also talks about how he is able to use heroin because, because he's a neuroscientist. He knows the right dosage, right? He knows um, the, the chemical properties. He knows how to put things together without overdosing, without, like he's in a well-controlled environment. He's able to engage in this drug without having an imbalance in his life so you know what he very well unfortunately which is horrible for me to even say he very well could have this actually could be a true statement that he is able to have and maintain a work-life balance but the average joe is not a doctor the average joe is not someone who is a well-renowned professor you know someone who knows how to use chemical properties someone who knows how to put things together without overdosing someone who like a lot of people are not him and are not in well-controlled environments and so they are instantly subjected to being addicted to having a poor quality of life you know there are people who do engage in hard drug use and somehow function well enough in the world that we're in but what type of function are you really having i think there is uh like we have to talk about what quality of life is 
you can you really live a quality lifestyle and engage in heroin and engage in crack and cocaine can't like I, I don't think so i really don't because i think about life as a whole life is not just oh you work you know you go home you have a family or you don't but it's not just about the, it's about everything it's about your internal feelings it's about how you feel about yourself a lot of people engage in drug use because they are depressed because they are hiding from something or they're running away from this this pain this trauma that they experience and maybe that's a common um stereotype that's used against drug use i could understand that and again that's me even intellectualizing it i think at the bare minimum say no to drugs <laughs> like i think at the bare minimum is just it's such a dangerous path that we're going in because a lot of people don't have a well-controlled environment like him no like people aren't going to labs to shoot up heroin no they're going to that trap house they're going to that trap house and then they're getting addicted and then they're killing people around them. They're raping people around them. They're not in their right state of mind. They're operating in another mindset, in another realm. And so when you're operating in another realm, yet you're in the physical realm, you're not doing things that needs to be done that is socially acceptable, that is legal, that is, uh, I don't know, this just could go down a whole rabbit hole. And again, it's not me trying to... Like, I don't want to necessarily stigmatize or be judgmental towards those who do struggle with addiction. I think it's so easy to um, discredit anyone who has had an addiction or who is currently struggling with an addiction. And that's unfair. We need to not stigmatize those who have addiction. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I also just want to stamp that drug use hard drug use i want to be specific to that because i'm not going into the whole marijuana debacle i do think shit maybe i am a republican but i do think marijuana is a gateway drug i am one of those who still believe that <laughs> whatever whatever niggas don't just start off with crack you don't just you don't i mean unless you really live a hard life but you don't just start off with crack you don't <laughs> okay but we'll go down there another time but i think when we tend to, uh, what is it, just put down those who struggle with addiction, they eventually never get out of that. They eventually die from addiction, and that is not the goal. I, you know, I look at the people on the streets, homeless people, addicts, dope fiends, who I see frequently. You, you guys know the, the episode I talked about uh, a few episodes ago, how I was saying how I don't want to live in the neighborhood that I was in when I was in my uncle's house because that area was just too fucking family friendly. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was seeing too many families. I don't want to see fam. I want to see broken homes. I want to see broke. I want to see a mother who's walking out on her, on her babies. I want to see fathers who left. I want to see, uh, you know, the uncle who's still around the block. I want to see that type of shit. I'm from the city. I'm from the motherfucking city. I want to see that. <laughs> okay, I'm dead ass. Like, what the fuck, Maxine? I'm so serious. Like, you know, with balance. Balance is the key word here. Balance. I, I don't want to just see families just walking around. Happy-go-lucky. It's so safe in the neighborhood that you can let your 10-year-old walk to the corner store? No. I want to 
a level of fear. Every time I take my keys and jangle it into my doorknob, I want to feel like someone's going to come up behind me with a knife. I want that type of feeling. Give me that type of feel, motherfucker. Give me that. Okay? And I have that now. <laughs> the, the area that I live in, <laughs> it's luxury, right? But there's a cost to living in a downtown, midtown area. You are more inclined to seeing addicts. You're more inclined to seeing uh, drug dealers, drug abusers, homeless folk, that is just a part of the territory because they're going to be more so in the inner city than they are in the suburbs. And that's a cost that I just am paying. And that's fine by me. Just keep your head down, you know, <laughs> be strong, brother, you know. But that's the environment that I want to live in. And while I'm living in this environment, you know, I'm used to it. You know, I've, I'm not new to it. I still feel this sympathy towards the ones who are out here on the street, who are struggling, who are knee deep in their addiction. And oftentimes we throw away these people, we throw them away, we dismiss them, we discard them, we make them feel like they're, they're dirt. And though, you know, you, you, you know, there's an argument that you may feel justified in feeling this way because they threw their life away, they had a choice, they, they decided to keep on abusing drugs and they left their family. And look, all of that is valid because I think it's frustrating. You know, if I had a, a family member who who's on the streets and who's um, just out out there, I there's a level of anger that I would feel just naturally because you, when you love someone so much, you want them to do right. You want them to live a good life. And when they don't, it's just so sad. Like, why aren't you even trying? Why don't you care? But then you have to take yourself out of that, right? You have to also recognize that you don't wake up an addict. You don't just, you're not just born an addict. You're not just out the womb, oh, I'm gonna do crack. No, there are experiences had. There are traumatic journeys that you are involved in that allow for this addiction to unfold. It is just a natural course of things, unfortunately, when you have been traumatized, right? If you're a victim of, of rape, of molestation, of physical abuse, of abandonment, of rejection, like, and then it, it doesn't even have to go that deep, right? It doesn't even have to go to, oh, I was raped by my father for many years and, you know, and now I'm an addict. It doesn't even have to go that deep. A lot of times it happens because maybe they were the youngest in the family and no one gave a fuck about this this, this child. No one, no one gave a fuck about Rachel. I'm, I'm just using a random name. No one gave a fuck about Rachel. Rachel's the youngest in her household. Um, Rachel would do her best to get good grades, to get attention, for her parents to see her and the work that she's putting into it. But because her parents had six kids before her, she's the last in the totem pole and she's not seen. And maybe this happens more so with the middle child than the youngest child. But regardless, sometimes just by being unrecognized, sometimes just by being ignored and not being at all just, just seen by your caregivers, that is enough for you to even become an addict. It, it, it takes something as small, as seemingly small as that to now develop an addiction to hardcore drugs. 
So there is sympathy, sympathy that I feel when I see people out on the streets because I, I look at them and I think about like, what happened? You know, what could have happened to you? What happened to you for you to turn out this way? Because something happened to you. I just don't and I can't believe you just choose this life and you had a great upbringing, right? You had parents who loved and cared for you. You lived a sheltered life. And sure, there's anomalies to everything. I'm sure there are plenty of white folks out there, white students, white kids who are out here doing drugs and um, they lived a nice life. You know, they, they come from a nice background. There's anomalies to everything. But generally, it is not like that. Generally, you are seeing more so people who are addicts because of a traumatic event that took place in their life. <sighs> Child, so I'm here to just say, say no to drugs and not even on some Ronald Reagan, Nancy Reagan type of shit. I know that's so like dismissive. Just say no, just say no, no. That's not what I'm saying, but that is kind of what I'm saying. <laughs> but what I'm saying is basically we can't, like we cannot even have a conversation okaying the use of recreational uh, use of hardcore drugs. I, I don't think that conversation should even be had unless it's being had under these types of, uh, you know, tones and um, attitudes that I'm expressing right now. But otherwise, it's very dangerous. I completely disagree with his rhetoric. I know a lot of people who are in agreement I don't know a lot of people in particular in like in my personal life, but I've seen a lot of people online agreeing with his his stance and saying that he's not saying that he said, you know, he's not necessarily encouraging kids to take drugs. Instead, he's saying that it's not as bad as it seems, right? <laughs> it's not that big of a deal when it's just it takes a it takes a level of privilege to even say that. It really does. And he's even saying that he disagrees with other experts who say drugs can change your brain, drugs can alter your brain. And to even disagree with that is just intellectually dishonest. You are a whole neuroscientist. Were you high when you wrote this? Like, were you high yourself on heroin? Like, how do I trust if you're high or not and if you're in your well state of mind? Are you saying heroin allows for you to be smarter? Like, what is it? It's just, oh, child, just be careful. And I, I just, my heart hurts for those of us who are easily manipulated, who are easily turned and swayed to believing and to agreeing with any old thing, especially from people who are seemingly credible. So for him to be a doctor, for him to be a professor, for him to be a research researcher is just very dangerous for him to go on this whole tour about drugs are okay, have fun. <laughs> like girl, nigga, go to hell, go to hell. Um, I need to wrap up real quick, you guys. I do wanna talk about the hypocrisy in a lot of Texans who are so angry. <laughs> y'all are so mad. Are you mad? A lot of y'all are so mad that Governor Greg Abbott made the executive decision to lift the mask mandate and allow businesses to open 100%. 
And my problem with everybody who's mad is that all of y'all are, you guys are already going out. You guys are not just going out. You're going out to these, these packed, these crowded establishments, bumping and grinding and having a good old time. Mask off. You're going out, ain't no social distances happening, ain't no, um, ain't no, ain't no space. Niggas is crowded in a bar. You're in a basement, actually. And yet, you're so mad that Governor Abbott decided to lift the mask mandate? And what's so funny to me is that he's lifting the mask mandate. Like, he's just saying, hey, you guys, you don't have to walk around with the mask anymore in public. You don't have to. If you, you know, if you want to, sure, but it is not required of you to do so. You won't be penalized. You will not be, um, you know, uh, at all penalized by not wearing a mask anymore. It is lifted. You are free to walk around without a mask. And the fact, excuse me, the fact that so many of you guys are so upset, so upset that you, <laughs> you're just going off, yet you're out here bumping and grinding and twerking and burping and all these things without a mask. You've been out here still. Houston has never been closed, thank God. <laughs> but Houston has never been closed. Texas has never been closed, really. Maybe to a capacity, but at the end of the day, niggas are out with or without a mask. And when you, you know, the, the whole thing of you you enter with the mask on, but you can take it off once you sit down, though. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, the virus suddenly stops when you're seated. You know, the thing I, don't, I just don't like when people are quick to shame. People are quick to shame. People are quick to make you feel like you're not a good person. You are not a good American. You're not a good person in general because you are putting people's lives at risk. You are putting my great grandmother at, maybe your great grandma, let me not say this, let me not say this. <laughs> I'm gonna keep it to myself. But the point is, shut the fuck up, just shut up. Like y'all niggas really don't care, this whole fake wokeness shit, but you're, you're out here still. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm good. <laughs> Talk about no mask, I'm over here coughing. I'm just talking so hard, my, my throat is dry. <clears throat> but it just gets me so annoyed because we like to put on this persona that we're, we're these like conscious, you know, so well in tune with blah, blah, blah. Yet instead, you're a hypocrite. You're still out here. You're still doing what you're doing as if this pandemic never happened. So cut the shit, stop acting like you're upset. I was the only person in my surroundings who was actually visibly excited and happy about this decision. <laughs> and my peers were like, oh my God, like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm tired of wearing this mask. I, hello, and I've been saying this, I'ma still say it. I've never, like, I remember when it first, you know, when everything started, you know, coming out and, you know, we heard about this pandemic, I was just like, okay, like, whoa, what's going, like, I was still trepidatious about it and I was always still like, I'm not going to settle for this type of life. 
I don't want to settle for this. I don't want to just be okay with wearing a diaper around my face. I don't. I don't want to be okay with just seeing people's eyes and not being able to smile to people and kind of feeling out their eyes to see, you know, what what energy they're giving to me, right? I don't want to, I'm not, I'm going to resist. I'm not going to settle for this type of life. So, you know, but respectfully, I still wear my mask because, you know, I'm not going to go to work without wearing one because it's a part of the mandate, right? Um, I'm not going to not walk into a uh, an establishment without wearing one because that's a part of their rule. So I'm going to be respectful to what rule you have. But let me tell you something. As soon as I walk out of that establishment, as soon as I even walk towards the exit, my mask is off. Like, I'm just like, oh, give me a, like, I'm, I'm, I saw a picture of Mississippi, of this ad for Mississippi, because I apparently Mississippi is on the same wavelength as Gregor, um, Greg Abbott. Um, they uh, allowed for them to have their mask mandate lifted as well. And there's this image of this black man. He's, he's taking off the mask and he, he, he like sighs in relief. And you could tell he's sighing in the picture like, <sighs> I'm free. And that's really how I feel every time I take off my mask. Every time. Because I'm just so sick of it. At this point, it's been a year in. And there should be something different. Things are still as they were. Okay, cool. We have a vaccine now. But a lot of us are not running to go get it. A lot of, and by us, I mean black folks. I do know a lot of black folks, black people who are getting the vaccine. Uh, I'm still on the fence about it. I still haven't gotten it. We'll see, you know, God willing, whatever. But I, there's, there's just, um, there's not much has changed. It's been a whole year. It's about, it's March, right? Yeah. A whole year has come and we're still at the same rate. And oh, child, if I lived in LA or New York, I would have been irate, irate, okay? Even if I lived in Boston still, I think Boston is still kind of on the same wavelength as New York. A lot of things are shut down and life as you know it is just not as you know it. And it comes to a point where enough is enough. Well, like we have to move forward, we have to move on. Shit, maybe I am a Republican, because at this point, I don't agree with anything that <laughs> a lot of Democrats feel or, um, you know, I've been agreeing a lot with Meghan McCain <laughs> on The View. And I've been agreeing with her because, honestly, I'm just, I'm I'm an independent thinker. I don't like to just follow the sheep. I don't like to just go with the flow with this thought process and go with what is socially acceptable or what is acceptable as a black woman in America. I think we all need to assess things, everything, and not just accept things just as they are because, oh, well, my dad was a, was a Democrat, my uncle's a Democrat, my, my, my sister, my mom, my whole line of family, like, no, if you don't agree with this rhetoric, we could question it, we could challenge it, we could actually um, redetermine what political party you feel more aligned with. And if it's not a, a particular political party like Republicans or Democrats, then maybe you're more so independent and that's okay. We have to be more accepting of the differences that we have. And I'm just so sick of these uh, these people out here who are shaming folks um, for not wearing masks. Like, bitch, if you don't want to wear a mask, then you don't have to. Like, Just like if you don't want to get an abortion, then you don't have to get one. You don't have, but don't judge me for getting an abortion. <laughs> How did we get here? But that is that. We're going to wrap it up here. Um, thank you for tuning in. I'll check in with you guys next time. Bye. 
Thank you for tuning in to another episode of God Built This Podcast with your host, Maxine. Be sure to leave a review, give me five stars, and of course, subscribe. Also, follow God Built This Podcast on Instagram at God Built This Pod. God bless.